You're listening to the Fire in a Hole podcast with Richard and Jason, available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and a cast. If you want to keep the show free and help us keep the lights on, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. If you have ideas for the show, we'd like to come on the show, uh, don't hesitate to drop us a line at Podcast at gmail.com. That's Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Today's episode of Fire in the Hole is brought to you by Smoke Meat Pete, old school diner with nightly blues acts. You can find them at 283 First Avenue in Il Perot, just outside of Montreal. And they're endorsed by today's guest, our good friend and former colleague, uh, none other than Double A, Mr. Amir Amozig, uh, comes to us today. Uh, we had a great talk about uh, his family history and being a product of Forbidden Love. Uh, then he goes on to talk about leaving the fold of a religious group and uh, impresses us with his encyclopedic knowledge of rock and blues and music history, which he puts to good use on his Facebook blog, posting about all the greats. So we'll be put, sure to put the, the link to that in the description. Uh, without further ado, this is the amazing Amir Amozig. Hear me! Oh, hear me! All pay heed! The Lord, the Lord Jehovah! has given unto you these 15 10 10 commandments for all to obey lived peacefully with with uh, with with neighbors who were who were Moroccan Arabic Muslims and uh, actually when you look at the culture of the of of the, of the Moroccan Jews it's so similar uh, to, to to that of the uh, Moroccan Arab uh, yeah. population they're virtually they're vir- virtually the, the, the dress the language with my father's generation things started to change because uh, he was born in uh, in French Morocco when it was colonized by by the French La Ville Nouvelle, mm-hmm. and everything was French spoken. Where in the, in the part of Fez, where my father's family was was living, there was uh, no Arabic, French in school, French spoken in, in fully in, fully in, colonized, uh, annexed. Exactly. This is like Casablanca yeah. style. But but the earlier generation was already. Completely different. Even even when I look at pictures, the w- dressing in traditional Moroccan garb and uh, that uh, that changed with uh, with so my father's generation. Literally, in one generation, they were all converted to into uh, like <laughs> pan. What do you call it? Proto Europeans or whatever. And uh, how how it is is that um, and it's uh, you know in I, around the fifties was when the Jewish Agency, the Jewish Agency, that was the organization that was sending emissaries to all these countries to encourage Jewish uh, settlement in in Israel, basically saying, look, revolutions are are erupting all over North Africa against uh, French colonial rule. you see what they did to the French. They're going to do the same to the Jews. Pack up and leave. And you know, the, 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 this was the fear mongering. Mm-hmm. This is what, um, and the, this is. And this what, was untrue. Is, was it untrue, or this was, the, or the, was this? There was. Was this founded in any way? Well, it's very hard to to measure how how true it was because no most internet. most <laughs> left 
Right. I so mean, uh, people believed it. People believed it, yeah. and uh, the the ones the, um, the 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 ones who had money, they immigrated to France. They immigrated to uh, to to Montreal, and it was usually the the ones that were working class that that uh, that all went to Israel uh, on 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 mass. That makes sense. And uh, oh so yeah, I, I, I mean the stories I can tell. Whoa, you're in the right place. <laughs> wait, wait, this is starting. We're is recording, it? yeah. Yeah, I just I just okay. put on the recording. Yeah, we okay. kind of tend to just ease into it. <laughs> just, oh, really? Yeah, okay. We just into okay. A I wasn't sure if there was going to be the, an intro or. I mean, yeah. of course, of course, we always uh, go to the trouble of welcoming our guests. So, uh, <laughs> this is this being a special one for us, right? Because uh, you're an old friend. Thanks. So, without further ado, I welcome on behalf of Richard and myself, Double A, Mr. <laughs> Amir Mozig. Welcome, Thank sir. You. Thank you. Welcome to Fire in a Hole. Uh, but you're already. I feel like you're already. Uh, you, you slipped into these shoes. You're already. <laughs> yeah. We already. We just started recording, and Amir, you're just like already. You've right. got this under control. Uh, absolutely. By the end of this episode, uh, this might be the Amir show. We don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's possible. We might be the guests at the end of this. I may inadvertently take over. <laughs> exactly. And That's then right. we're fine with that. That's what we love. This is not the first time a guest has, uh, shall we say, over outdone us, uh, showed us up in terms of talent. And uh, we're very humble about that. We, we we take it where it goes, right? <laughs> That's right. So, Amir. Yes. Uh, I guess I maybe should just give it a background here. Uh, uh, you were you were just talking about how your family migrated out of Morocco. Right? Yes. Okay. So no, on my dad's side. Your dad's side. Okay. So they. We're we're actually you and I were we're very similar mm-hmm. in that in terms of our birth parents, we have one from North Africa and one from Eastern Europe. So ah, that's true. We have a yeah, brownie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a brownie and a and a whitey. Yikes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so if 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 there's a rise of like the the Middle Eastern and like the Semitic peoples and they considered themselves rulers of the world, we'd be like, "Well, we're we've got some of that blood." And if, <laughs> if the uh, if the if the whites uh, want to rise, we got some of that blood. We're basically in this middle place. Yeah. And I, I definitely want to the talk half breeds, about, yeah, yeah, <laughs> hybrids, yeah, hybrids. Because half breeds makes it sound like we got shortchanged somehow. I like to think that we uh, we might have maybe inherited the best of both worlds. Maybe that's just just on the the days where I feel good about myself. <laughs> so wait, okay. So uh, if your dad is a Moroccan Jew who moved to Israel, y- yes, okay. And th- this was in the in, in the fifties, in, in the very beginning of the like during the, se- the settlement, right? Yeah. So this must have th- that that alone must be a saga to unto itself, right? Like just the stuff that he must have seen there. He c- clearly you went with him. What? No. No. Nope. You didn't go with your dad at that point. You did. This was when he was young. Uh, th- this is when he was young. Yes, he remained in Israel only for ten years. Okay, they uh, they left. Uh, my father left in 1966, and that's he married my mom in Haifa in 1961. My mother was there for even less time, uh, seven, uh, seven years. And she was coming from from Poland. From Poland, right? And uh, it's. It's 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 interesting with my mom. She didn't want to leave. She was very established in in Poland. was a was an academic. Went to the University of Wrocław. Uh, was a theater actress. Wow. And her father didn't want to leave. And you see, th- this is where sometimes within within Jewish circles, they uh, they they don't want to accept the nuance that that uh, that there could have been some dissenting attitudes within the same family on whether to to, uh, to follow the program or not to move to Israel mm-hmm. her mother was the one who insisted on 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 leaving she went through 
absolutely horrific and unconscionable experiences in the camps and absolutely and based on based on the understanding of the time because nobody at that time there was a complete blackout on having any kind of sensitivity or awareness of the Palestinian narrative or or or, or the Nakba of 1948 nobody nobody knew that no way. the traditional Zionist uh, uh, narrative from movies like Exodus and and that 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 was the uh, that was the the national the international consensus and uh it was which was that everyone's on board with this and yeah. the day of that was promised was has come and let's yeah. all let's all well, go. well no it, it just uh, the the original narrative there which uh, which basically uh says okay the the un created uh, created this country and there was a war instigated by our by our, by our enemies, not by us, and uh, so the, the 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 type of questions that late, that that uh, that some uh, Jewish academics or historians now ask about uh, about that period that didn't exist at the time uh, when when you're talking about uh, the 50s, we're talking about a a complete blackout. You're saying there was just no examination of anything. Exactly, it, and uh, it was just instinctive for my mother's mother that it was time to pack up and leave. Her husband, my my mother's father, was a jazz musician. He loved Poland and he didn't want to leave. And so, but... Uh, is that where your... I know, I mean, maybe this is too easy, but is that where your absolute obsession with music comes from? I would say so. Yeah? I mean, I... I to my knowledge, uh, I had... I did meet my grandfather when I was a very little kid, but... Uh, Obviously, I have no, I have no recollection of it. This is uh, in terms of what was relayed to me, what was, what was told to sure. me. Have you the case? But he, but he, his life was was music, and I certainly. And so was yours, and, and so and so was mine. <laughs> Do we know anyone that's <laughs> yeah. that's more of a music head than Double A? No, I don't think so. I mean, we met musicians, we met people in all sort of walks of life, but most musicians aren't as into music as. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, a scholar, yeah. I would say, musicologist, yeah. musicologist, definitely. No, no. Uh, was that always the case for you since you were yes. a kid? Yes, always. And ever since I was a was a kid. What? what and I always find out which musicians are dead as a result of your Facebook posts. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've got, you've got, you've got everything sort of, uh, and you also birthdays. Oh, I don't yeah, know anyone that knows true. actor and and musicians' birthdays. Or well, um, they, well, the thing is, I'm not. I'm not going to lie and say that I have that information memorized. I mean, I do. I do. Well, you keep uh, track of it, though. I, no, I, I. I go through. I go to Wikipedia and mm -hmm. I keep track. Okay, who was born on this day? Who, who passed away on 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 this day? And uh, it takes a couple minutes. And based on that, That's super I, cool. Though I do my blogging on. Uh, on commemorating the anniversary of a passing or the anniversary of a, I of think, a birthday. See, I think that's great. I think that's great because I don't that that shows like a true passion. It's not about getting attention or likes or hits. It's just you just want to share your enthusiasm as far yeah. as I can see. And like it it bleeds through everything that you write. You can tell mm -hmm. that you're not just going, "Hey, I want to get some easy hits here and I want to get some of that social media like uh, gratification, you know? You're 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 out there and you're saying, "Look, this film meant a lot to me. This act, and and you have like almost um, like baseball guys are like that a little bit. Hockey guys and base baseball yeah. specifically, who like celebrate the anniversary of something happening in a game. Oh yeah, like you know it's been eighteen years since that guy like slid to third and uh, waved to the camera. <laughs> 
oh yeah that guy you mean that guy whose cousin was and then they just get into it like it's it's encyclopedic knowledge i would put it um but uh it completely conveys your 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 passion for it so mm-hmm. i'm guessing who who got you your first record when you it was your records i'm guessing records is what got you well the thing is i was raised in a house that was always filled with music okay it's uh in terms of uh musicianship your mom played music right no 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 she was an actress, an but, actress um, but um no, no um nobody apart from my from my from my mother my grandfather my mother's father uh he was uh, the musician in uh in my family heritage he was a jazz musician part of the post war uh, dance hall oh. bands, you so know, the good stuff, uh, the big band know, kind of y- stuff. Y- exactly, uh-huh. exactly. You had uh, the cabarets all over, all over Poland, and he was a guitar player, and uh, he That's was great. he was part of that. And they, they were doing, they were doing jazz standards, American jazz standards. They were doing uh, actually a lot of uh, Russian gypsy songs. I don't oh, know, yeah. like Oci uh, Chornia, and yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that was that was very popular, and uh, still is. It's the, <laughs> well, the young the young people are, are, are on that stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it it sort of never dies because it's it's just made to dance on. And then you have the jazz, which is a fusion of the two, like Django Reinhardt, yeah. which is which co- is uh, what they call jazz manouche, which combines uh, elements of the gypsy music with uh, with the American jazz standard, American swing. And, Super interesting. Uh, okay, combine, combining the two, and that was where that was uh, th- that was the main music of uh, of my late grandfather. On, on do you have on any idea if there are any recordings of of this no. anywhere? No. There wouldn't have been, eh? No. It was just not. No. He was he was a live uh, performer. Okay. He had uh, a job, um, what they would call the music inspector, which is basically visiting different uh, university campuses, uh, just make, making sure that uh, that that any any music that was taught was according to curriculum and uh, doing doing reports. That was his that was his official income, and he was a musician by night. Okay, and uh, with my mom, she didn't. Um, she wasn't a singer. She wasn't a musician, but she was an actress on stage. That's great. So she did theater. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Exactly. That's cool. You just got that artist sort of. Uh... Actually, the uh, the 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 Polish film director who just passed away, Andrzej Wajda, mm-hmm. who was uh, regarded as uh, the the Legend. biggest uh, director that Poland uh, ever produced. Yeah, of course. He actually um, saw some of the early performances of my mom. Because really? they would, he was in Warsaw, but he would go through tours of the various regions of uh, Poland. And uh, my mother was in uh, the town Jerzoniów uh, near uh, near uh, Wrocław, mm-hmm. uh, Bielawa. And uh, when they would make tours, looking at the theater scene in in uh, in in those particular towns, they would see my mother's Makes work. Sense. And, Makes um, sense. Actually, my mother knew personally. The actor, I, I don't know if you know him, is Bigniew Cybulski, who was the regarded as the Polish James Dean. Uh, if you ever, if you ever remember uh, an Andrzej Wajda movie from the mid fifties called Ashes and Diamonds. Yes, I've seen Ashes and Diamonds. Yeah, okay, yeah. so the the the, uh, the leading actor from that movie uh, with uh, the thick hair, yeah, yeah uh, the, the, that's the stud, uh, yeah, <laughs> as Bigniew Cybulski, he was uh, he was a friend of my mom's. Oh, that's that's really awesome. That's cool. That's so great. Well, that entire area was such a, a hub of artistry in the 19th century and the early the birth of the 20th century that right. before, you know, war ruined everything. Mm. Uh, I mean, even the Germans were like on the cusp of a of a super artistic revolution, right? With the Bauhaus movement and everything. Right. They were ready to flip 
the way we we thought about art and painting and everything and architecture everybody there was just like this this amazing growth of like ideas and new and um perfection of um of uh the industrial revolution like the u.s benefited from it because they kept going with the roaring 20s but then just all hell broke loose right right and everything went to shit and like everything ended overnight right uh, because of war right so but just there's this little pocket and some of it kept going right even under the the bombs some yes. of this music kept people i think probably they needed it more than ever mm-hmm. at that point absolutely uh mm-hmm. to to survive the horror of all these things and it's so mm-hmm. weird so you got your Moroccan dad you got your polish mom right i got my egyptian dad and i've got my hungarian mom and we're like yeah. next door neighbors on both ends exactly exactly <laughs> so that's funny yeah what's what's actually interesting along those lines is that after both of my parents moved to israel they got married at a time when 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 marriage between between a european jew and a, Nor- and a north african jew or a jew from from middle eastern countries it was completely really? completely unheard of it's a no no it was uh it was regarded as uh as as, as intermarriage and um, like blasphemous yeah like you yeah, just no, didn't no, do no, it no, but you see this is this is the thing you had what i told you at the beginning you had the people from the Jewish agency that were coming to Morocco and basically through fear, tactics of fear, encouraging the masses to pack up and 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 and, and leave. And once they were there, it's uh They weren't wanted. Well, they they were put on the front line for, for the wars, and then when the wars ended, uh, nobody would give them a job. Ah, so the the brown people got the short end <laughs> of the stick again. <laughs> exactly. And uh, my mother that never happens. Uh, <laughs> My, and my mother had a job in 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 Haifa, and uh, uh, at that time she was engaged to to my dad. And her boss says, "So so who's the guy?" And she explained, and he says, "What? You're engaged to a Moroccan Jew. You're supposed to break both of your legs before you even consider doing 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 what what you did. Wow. Uh, things like that." And um, then. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, to telling uh, to telling mama, so is he one of us? And my mother would always say, "No, he's he's mine." Nice. <laughs> that was that right was, on. <laughs> that was, that was, Good job. That was, that was her answer. Good job. Well, when, and, and, uh, and, and 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 this is this is the 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 paradox is that is that right now uh, a Moroccan Jew, or I would say an Israeli who is a descendant of 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 Moroccan Jews, even if they're the most nationalist and uh, most most uh, right wing, mm-hmm. when they go to a wedding, they hear a song that was actually very popular in in Israel, written by written by a Moroccan Jew, Lachti uh, Lishkat Avoda, which basically which basically means I went to look for a job. He asked me where I was from. I told him Morocco. He says, "Get the hell out of here." That's the song. And that's the song. And I said, uh, "He asked me where am I from." I said, "I'm from Poland." He says, "Please come in." And, those are the um, lyrics. Those are the lyrics. Okay. Those are the lyrics. And and and. Uh, so now it's a, it's still a huge song. Well, now it's a well, huge song. It's it's part of the folklore because nobody it's, remembers it's, what it's, it actually it's, means. Well, it's uh, as I said. There's the there's the mindset of people who are indoctrinated by the state, and uh, there's the culture. When they go to a family wedding, that 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 brings in so much so much of the uh, of, of of the culture from earlier decades. Uh, it's uh, two different worlds. So they just start playing it. No, yeah, it's, this is. Uh, and they know the word. They know the words of the song, but it doesn't. Uh, it just doesn't sink in. That like uh, ring around a rosy, pocket full of roses, <laughs> ashes, ashes all fall down, and everyone's exactly. the kids are singing it. Right. And it's a black black plague. Black plague. The black plague yeah. song. So yeah. my mother went. Dark. 
I, this is almost sounds like we're trying to one up each other. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, here's what I love it. So my mother, uh, Hungarian, Transylvanian, right? Already starting out by getting shit thrown at her by by uh, the communist dictatorship ruled Romanian uh, contingent of the tra- whatever population already that had born into animosity, right? right. Uh, Armenian. We found out there might there there's very likely like ninety eight percent chance of an Armenian ancestor. So therefore, my mom, while being like quote unquote pure blooded European, has a little shall we say dusky complexion to her as as far as Europeans go. She tans easily. Let me just put it that way. And we have thick Nobody's coarse hair. Pure Nobody, <laughs> but she's certainly not like the the lily like 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 redhead or yeah. strawberry blonde European. Right? Yeah. She's. Uh, a dark-haired uh, European, and that's why, like Richard, she can pass for any Mediterranean, <laughs> like ever. As long you're as a, a bit of a tan. Exactly. Yeah. You're Scottish. I don't know how that happens. There's something with the Scots that yeah. where you you've got some of that like uh, interloper <laughs> genetics. I don't know. You just have to tan a little bit. You can be Greek. You can be Scot- Turkish. Scots aren't known for the ability to tan, though. No, not <laughs> not typically. Not. They just peel. Yeah, <laughs> and it's and it's white underneath. They turn red and then peel. And right, then it's white. <laughs> but I've seen you come back from Turkey with like a little glaze, where like you could yeah. have totally uh, been like a spy or something in the in the fifties. Yeah, I think that might be more <laughs> the French Canadian side. I'm not sure. It might be the French Canadian, maybe yeah. a little Métis somewhere, a little Native American <laughs> uh, uh, blood somewhere in the back. Maybe. Wouldn't be surprising. So my mother, uh, Catholic uh, Christian woman from Transylvania, um, living under communist rule. With a grandmother wielding a battle axe behind her, not letting anyone near her till she was like 25 or something, goes to get her doctorate, right, a PhD in American literature in communist Europe. Wow. Like, as they say in French, like, how the hell she came up with that, right? While she's doing this in Bucharest, she goes to study, she meets a Muslim Egyptian man, right, who's went to Europe to study. Who comes in with like a gold watch and a three-piece suit into a university class with a briefcase, right? Like like a tool, like a complete tool. <laughs> and the minute it started snowing, he started panicking. Apparently, like he thought it the world was coming to an end and everything. He bought the biggest fur jacket he could find, <laughs> and he looked like uh, Snuffleupagus, basically walking out. <laughs> so, my mother raised under this like uh, this like uh, battle axe wielding Christian Catholic, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, grandmother. Meets Muslim Egyptian, uh, you know, uh, uh, scion of of a South Egyptian Saidi like mango farm family, like high peasantry. They somehow fall in love and they decide to get married and have a kid. And when my mom announces this to uh, my her dad, so my grandfather, he responded in a typical fashion where he went like. Eh. Just like shrugged, like this man would not give his daughters an inch of of like validation for the life of me. I don't know why. His step, uh, uh, her uh, step, my step grandmother, so grandfather's new wife, who I'm not very fond of. Her the first words out of her mouth were something like, "What's it gonna look like?" Ooh, ouch. That's, uh, what's it gonna look like but like not even in a weird like uh bible belt like kkk kind of hateful way just like pure like nonchalant really you know pure racism like pure mm-hmm. like what's it going to look like where is it gonna go and who's gonna love it 
<laughs> oh, really? Oh, shit along those lines. Like, oh, wow. she, this, this was actually her being concerned. This was actually right. her showing, like, but why would you do this? Who's going to want this half-breed thing, whatever it is, that's kind of... Can you even... Re- like, that was probably her next question. Yeah, can you even reproduce? Does it even work with people from that part of the world or something <laughs> yeah. to that extent? <laughs> right? <laughs> do you have compatible parts? Right. Yeah. And, of course, the, the, the humor, the, the hilarity of all this is now... She's still alive, the step-grandmother. My grandmother and grandfather passed away. If I were to see her now, she immediately starts weeping and starts telling tales of how she had never loved until she had laid eyes upon my golden brown skin and my big brown eyes. <laughs> and she had to defend me from my grandfather, who was a cruel and mean man. And like, she's like just completely in La La Land about like recreating history, recreating her history <laughs> of what her actual react. But I know. Why is it that the evil ones live so long? I know. Like, yeah. They outlive everyone. <laughs> I love the way you put it. Yeah. I love the Dungeons and Dragons way you put that. Why did the evil ones? It's true. It is it's true, true, though. Castro hung in there for how long? Uh, what's his name? Mbutu or whatever, the Zaire yeah. uh, dictator. Um, yeah, if like they don't e- get like shot. Evil kills cancer or something. Evil kills. Yeah, e- like Just be evil. Paper, be rock, evil. paper, You'll scissors. Forever. Yeah, yeah uh, even Gaddafi. I mean, how he hung in there. For a long time before they, he finally they turned on him, yeah. and uh, uh, Saddam too was well into his sixties, I think. When when he by the time they caught up, he they had their time. Hmm. Meanwhile, all of the people tried to bring about <laughs> you know some good things, <laughs> gone, gone, gone. Wait, I can bring this full circle. So oh, do it, do it. My uh, my mom is Protestant, my dad Catholic. Oh, no rivalry there. What are you talking <laughs> about? And in the day, it was the same thing, right? Okay. That was forbidden right they yeah. they had a hard time finding a church to even get married. married there's still some animosity till this day oh yeah for sure and they didn't speak the same language and uh people were not pleased mostly on the french canadian side that they were bringing like my dad was bringing home an, an oppressor Ang- yeah an anglo daughter lady. of the oppressor yeah so <laughs> they managed to find with with some effort a church that would marry them so oh, they, they literally could not they would refuse the yeah. churches would refuse to marry them. Yeah, 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 wow. for sure, for sure. So they found they they managed to find one that was like, okay, we'll do it. <laughs> In the Come night. back at midnight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that so time, there was no was uh, civil marriage, uh, getting married. Uh, I suppose by there was, the peace, but or? I think they wanted to do something yeah, in, a church, in a church. I think right. it was still like not really legit back then, unless you you had it done in a church. Like now, nobody right. really cares anymore, but. It was not really official until you walk down the steps and exactly. through the yeah. bouquet. It was in the seventies, so yeah, big deal. So we're all uh, products of forbidden love. Forbidden. <laughs> yes, I feel yeah. like we have our episode name right there. Yes, exactly. Forbidden love. <laughs> that or Polish James Dean. Polish James Dean. That's pretty good too. Yeah. So wow, that's nuts. So okay. So what happens when when do you guys make the move to the Canada? Okay, my parents left Israel in nineteen sixty six for Montreal. And I'm very glad they did because uh, th- a year later was the was the '67 the expo, uh, yeah. was the war, so um, was the Six Day War. Oh, you're right, the Six Day War, which so, my grandfather were, were on my Egyptian side was apparently at, uh, and mm-hmm. I only saw my paternal grandfather once. He was shaped like a U. <laughs> he was old and he he was like senile, and I didn't get any sort of sense out of him. Uh, but apparently, he was there. He w- he okay. he stood on the beaches. Um, I think the story was the Israeli army what had was on the wrong side of the country, 
like they were not where they were supposed to be positioned at when the Egyptians showed up and they they piled sand really high in order to delay the a reaction so they could get their people to the front okay uh, this is like the super abridged version <laughs> and the engineers either the Syrian or the Egyptians this is when the Egyptians and Syrians basically the friendship uh, ended <laughs> <laughs> so Egyptians I think joint force they showed up and they had uh, water cannons so they blasted through the sand dunes like really fast and they were on the beach like in in a shocking amount of time and they were going to march in and they were going to conquer well conquer they were going to take over and occupy and then somebody got a phone call f saying that there was an airplane flying over cairo with an atom bomb in it and egyptians promptly said cool packed up their shit went home oh, okay. but forgot the syrians <laughs> Uh, and that's, I think, where the rift happened. I, this is, like I said, the very abridged version of what went down that day. Um, but uh, if it hadn't been for that airplane, it would have, we would be made, I don't know, it would have turned out very differently. Hmm. So, yeah, it was a crazy Was, it, was time. it a bluff? I don't know. I, I think not. I think the U.S. had uh, sold a, a, a nuke. I'm not sure. We'll never know. Hmm. Like, like, who cares, really? I mean, I don't have a... a what do, you, what do you call like a cat in a race? Is that an expression? <laughs> skin in the game. A skin in the game. <laughs> but that was like the abridged version that I'd, I'd heard echoed through the family. But clearly, yes, an excellent time to get the hell out. It was a, it was a perfect time. And uh, they uh, they moved to Montreal. Meanwhile, Expo 67. Yeah, exactly. It's like all merriment yeah. here. This, but it was a year before. It was 66. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, they, they went through Halifax. And eventually... Uh, yeah, there was. Uh, I mean, I was born in '73, but uh, that's uh, that's the the landing. That was the landing, exactly. I in can't, Canada. Montreal must have been like torn to shreds, like right now in '66, in preparation for the '67. They must have been. That's when all the dirty stuff slots oh, okay. uh, came in. Apparently, that's when the organized crime got their foot in the door. Oh, really? Because there was the mad rush for '67, hmm. and then there was the the Olympics too. And the, during those two events, there was just like uh, no supervision, and they needed all this development, and at a, at a, and that's apparently when the people we still can't get rid of uh, got their foot in the door. And well, I don't know. This morning, I was reading about the the the, the chaos. They just published the the costs for the road building in Montreal. Okay, and yeah. And they're twice that of Toronto's. Okay. Somehow, hmm. twice. Somehow. Right. Calgary, and then they, they, they Montreal uh, stated, uh, the, the leader stated um, climatic, they, they threw the old climate BS at us again about like that's why we need more uh, to fill more uh, potholes and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, Calgary is like almost at the end of the list, and you're going to tell me they have better weather than us? <laughs> exactly. They get, they get winter two months earlier, and it lasts two months more than everywhere else in the country. Hmm. And you're going to tell... Anyway, I didn't mean to go off on this, but the point is, it must have been... No, it was definitely an exciting time. It must have been an exciting time, in stark contrast to horror. Exactly. What, uh, from the country, they, they came. Definitely. Running for their lives. Exactly. Okay. That's cool. That's crazy, man. That's crazy. Montreal in the 60s. I mean, your dad uh, told us a little bit about his, mm -hmm. his experience growing up in those years. Yep. And what that was like. Selling hot dogs at Expo 67. Yeah. Yeah, his dad's a big baseball head. Oh. Uh, and uh, he has some family in the Montreal Royals and everything. Yeah. Okay. So he's got, he's got a connection there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So...
to to basically leave some of this horror behind. Yeah. <laughs> Can you pinpoint your 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 love affair with music, like when it started? When it started, okay. Well, I was five years old when when we left uh, Montreal in '78 uh, to to Vancouver. I was born in '78. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And in Vancouver, that, that you know, somehow I have very. I have a few, but not many recollections of uh, my life uh, between 73 and 78. Mm -hmm. But um, I remember I was in a house where, where music was always played. We, we had records. The advantage of having a father who was born in French Morocco um, during, during the French period is that I got exposed to all the legendary... Uh, classic French uh, singers like Edith Piaf, Jacques Brel, uh, Charles Aznavour, mm -hmm. Gilbert Becot. This was my father's music growing up as a kid. And what a gr what in, great in, music. In, 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 in uh, French Morocco. So I had uh, that. I was exposed to a lot of Mediterranean music, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Isra Israeli music. My mom was uh, the biggest uh, fan of Engelbert Humperdinck so really? I remember as a kid we had she had all the records okay. every 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 record I even remember she was telling stories how she and a friend uh, actually just a couple of years after they became Canadian citizens and and uh, in, in in Montreal during one of the worst snowstorms uh, made it uh, made it somehow to uh, to the Montreal Forum to, to see uh, the, the, Humperdinck. To see Humperdinck. And, Who's uh, Indian, right? He was born in Madras. He's yeah. born in Madras, which yeah. is, I don't know if you know Humperdinck, uh, Richard. Oh yeah, but he's basically like a Neil Diamond level artist, or Elvis, or even bigger. Or I don't know. He was a big deal, of course. Uh, but in when, terms of style, would you say? Well, he was more of the ro of. Um, the romantic balladry, love song guy. Yeah, you yeah. see, there was a uh, you know like uh, like in heavy metal, you have the the split camp between Judas Priest and 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 maiden. maiden. Uh -huh. So so or you had in in England between the Beatles and the Stones, you also had the split camp between Tom Jones and Engelbert Humperdinck. Both uh, became very successful at around uh, the same time, but sty stylistically, were quite uh, were quite apart. Tom Jones. Uh, derived a lot of his influence from soul music, from mm -hmm. um, from uh, from from classic R and B, and with uh, with Engelbert Humperdinck, it was more uh, classic love songs, uh, crooning, 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 crooning uh, balladry. But uh, my mother was firmly uh, she had respect for Tom Jones, but she was firmly entrenched in the in the Engelbert Humperdinck camp. Mad the madness, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. That's great. It's just the Indian thing is so 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 yeah. left field. When I I think I I found this out because I saw some documentary about seventies icons that still have their money. <laughs> I was like, usually I don't watch stuff like this, but this is like seventies icons that are still rich. And um, Engelbert Humperdinck was one of them. Oh, really? He didn't. He was careful with his money. He was. He didn't build anything crazy. I think the only thing crazy he did on his land uh, is he built himself a pub on his <laughs> attached to his house, so he can cross over from his his house into a full English pub, like with the stone walls, the elk, the the stout, the stout uh, pints, and the dartboard, and he just entertains in this room. And that was like his only conceit. Hmm. And he just he sat on that. 
Humperdinck money. <laughs> <laughs> that was a made-up name, though, right? He made that up. Yeah, his so. real name is uh, Jerry Dorsey. Engelbert Humperdinck is the name of a German classical composer, mm-hmm. the one who composed uh, Hansel and Gretel. Right. And uh, he was basically advised by uh, by his uh, producer at the t- at the time. Uh, Which is very it, odd. Yeah, you're not going to get anywhere with the name Jerry Dorsey. Uh, pick pick another name as Engelbert a stage name, and uh, Engelbert Humperdinck. Name yourself after the the composer. It's almost like he gave himself a <laughs> handicap, but his talent was and his yeah. charisma was so immense that it overcame this absolutely ridiculous name. I, I mean, the thing is, is that the trend at the time was actually to take very long names by birth and abridge them and right. and, and shorten them, Americanize or or anglicize. Like Jerry Dorsey, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but with him, it was it was it was in reverse. He did the reverse. He actually had a few uh, records under the name Jerry Dorsey that all flopped. Really? He becomes Engelbert Humperdinck. He releases, please release me. Goes to number one. Something he about He dethrones that. the Beatles. Wow. With Penny Lane from from number one. That's with, crazy. Uh, <laughs> That's amazing. I guess maybe he got that name with some sort of magic voodoo thing maybe. to it. Yeah. Like, or you just like, I just picked this horrible name. Wait. <laughs> It only works when I when I do it under this name. Right. If yeah. I try my own name, everything just goes to hell. I don't know. Rumpelstiltskin. Rumpelstiltskin. No, Engelbert. Engelbert. Oh, it does sound like a Rumpelstiltskin thing. That's crazy. Guess my name. Okay, so again, I'm, I'm sorry to do this because it sounds like I'm, I'm excluding you, but um, again, another similarity is there was always music in my house. It was just yeah. me and my mom, but there was Harry Belafonte, there was Bob Marley, before before Bob Marley was cool and all the kids listened to it at the party, like there was a lot of this island. There was uh, Nana Muscuri. There was Charles Navoul. There was always yeah. stuff playing Black Sabbath. My mom played Black Sabbath records wow. in the house, which I had no idea what they were. At the I, time. You see, I had I had that problem where apart from the Beatles and maybe, maybe uh, my parents were very big fans of uh, Simon and Garfunkel, of big course. fans oh, of yeah. of, uh, of, uh, of the Beatles, but. I um, not so much into rock and roll, very much into the crooners, very much into the rat folk, pack, the folk guys. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, as I said, with the Mediterranean influence, uh, there was always Spanish flamenco guitar, uh, you know, manitas de plata, and th- okay. um, things like that. The over, gypsy kicks type stuff. Type stuff. What uh, what influenced what the they got their influence with, from? Right? Exactly, exactly. Which is amazing music, right? It's 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 uh, pseudo Spanish. Spanish. Uh, right. It's pseudo Middle Eastern. Like nobody knows exactly where the where where the divide is, you know. And then there's well, the gypsy the, influence. Yeah. Well, it was the Moors that brought the guitar to Spain, right? So that's why you do have not a popular statistic, not a popular story, <laughs> <laughs> not but a popular story, but musically, it's true. Which is why you have the fusion between between uh, Arabic music, especially uh, North African music, that has a very strong Andalusian. Uh, influence mm-hmm. and the music that emanated emanated from Spain. So that's uh, it's no no mystery. No, I, I mean uh, lately you have a you have a group like Alabina, which uh, I have a few CDs of them at home, and they actually take with um, if you look at their songs, it's it's like you have one verse in Spanish, one verse in Arabic, and that's, yeah, uh, okay, they're that's right a, there on the cusp. That's of, a fusion uh, between the two. So what, what I wanted to mention, so that was where. My parents' music, that, w- that was my parents' music that I heard. And then, again, there was like a big bang in, in, in inside of me from a kid, and I was totally into rock and roll. 
much more so than my parents were, but they uh, they caught on in 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 certain areas, and I was totally into Elvis Presley and and the, and the fifties bands and and sixties rock and roll. Were they edgy and, at the time? Or were they considered to be like do 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 do? I mean, at this point, they were. This was kind of past their. They, they were past their prime by this point when you when you started yes. to get into them. And I and I was into it as a kid. Okay, growing up in the in. 1980 and somehow that music still spoke from from well before i was born spoke to me mm-hmm. and uh okay it, it was actually interesting is that um i remember as a kid we went to we went to the shop and we bought uh john lennon double fantasy this was uh, shortly before he uh, he was killed and uh which was a collaborative effort with yoko and I was, uh, I did, you know, I, at that time I thought, okay, it was, uh, it was only, only John Lennon. So the opening track is uh, just like starting over. And I remember as a kid really liking that. But then the second track, <laughs> Yoko again. No, no, no offense to the Yoko fans. Offense, but that traumatized. <laughs> I, I mean offense. You can. I've be, never met a Yoko fan. <laughs> is that a thing? Like, but her, her, seriously. <laughs> but her voice and her shrieking. It totally traumatized me. gave me gave me nightmares. And do you know uh, what a, do you know what a troll is you know, on the internet? Yes. Right. Uh, um, that I feel like she was. She, that's her contribution. She predated the troll by about thirty years. She trolled years. her husband's album. She was the original troll. <laughs> she somehow got everybody to accept this ridiculousness. Right. Yeah. So I remember. We returned the album mm-hmm. to to the shop. Oh, you returned it. Yeah. Nice. At, at that time. Maybe it wasn't official policy, but they allowed exchange. Yeah, you could still do it. You could still do it at that time. Uh, this was when you had stores like Discus and uh, Sam the Record Man. Sam the Record Man, Discus, yeah. exactly. And instead, I got uh, Billy Joel Glass Houses. Now, the thing about Glass Houses is that uh, the first track on the album is "You May Be Right," mm-hmm. and it begins with the, the sound of shattering glass. That that freaked me out, but I got over it. Okay. You see, I, I didn't get over Yoko, but I got over... The Shattering the, Glass freaked the, you out because that was kind of a, a novelty. A novelty. Uh-huh. And that was the intro to the track. And I got hooked on uh, on Billy Joel Glass House. That was the big moment. Yeah. Okay. And then the journey continued. I was an 80s child and I was exposed to all the music. Uh, it's very interesting. Very mm-hmm. interesting because, I mean, if to be into like 50s, uh, 60s music, yeah. I think... I mean, it could be wrong about this because like... I think, I mean, we're not that far apart in terms of age. We were born in this very weird kind of foot in the 80s, kind of foot in the 90s, right? Because by the time I was old enough to appreciate the 80s, it, it went away. In like 94, it all came down. No, I appreciated the 80s fully and completely during those years. So you got in that elementary extra. school, in junior high. You, and, li- you lived uh, it, okay. Yeah, to, to, to the point where I was so immersed in it, even when grunge... Uh, hit in the early '90s. I was. Uh, I wasn't. Um... I resist. I tried to resist too. Yeah. I was like, I'm not cutting my hair. <laughs> Fuck this Nirvana garbage. I was like, this is not music. <laughs> yeah, I held on. I held on. But then, uh, you know, the inevitable happened. All all the girls converted, and then you know, <laughs> my leather jacket, uh, long hair was just not doing it anymore. <laughs> just could not get talk. Couldn't get into conversation with the ladies unless I looked sullen. Mm. And uh, that was kind of the look, right? The grunge. Uh, amb- you need the sweater. What was the sweater? 
I never got the sweater. The flannel. Yeah, the flannel well, combat boots. <laughs> you could still have long hair, but you had to hate it or something. I don't remember. But uh, Alice in Chains was in. <laughs> yeah. And Guns N' Roses was um, barely... Like, you could still... They were big enough, I think, still, that you couldn't mess with them. Aerosmith started doing all those cheesy uh, yeah. ballads uh, and completely right. left behind their roots. Uh, but, it, I mean, they stay relevant. But they, but they, remained, uh, they remained a huge draw uh, for, as a live band. Right. But I mean, if you if you look at listen to like uh, the soundtrack of Armageddon and like those songs, oh they're just yeah. like rehashing and just cheesy ballad after cheesy ballad. If you go back to their origins, not that I was a huge Aerosmith fan, but they were a much more. Uh, they yeah, but I was immersed. Uh, you see, at that time, I was totally immersed in Permanent Vacation from '87 and yeah. Pump in 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 '89 went. Uh, Janie's got a gun. And, yeah, so that uh, was the Aerosmith. Like lady. That, that was the Aerosmith. That, that was, I liked. Yeah, that exactly. Was, uh, but no one to close my eyes. Like I'm sorry, <laughs> great song, but like there's some that was some cash grab. That's some cash grab. And while you're listening to this, Liv Tyler's on the screen, making out with Ben Affleck in Pearl Harbor. It was just it was just so painful. The whole yeah. the whole ordeal. Mm. Okay, so clearly you've always loved music. Yes. Were you always so scholarly about it? Yes. Really? Yeah, because okay. that, that that was. Uh, that was my DNA. That was the the air I I breathed. Even uh, when, because um, and I'm, I'm totally okay with you not be if you don't want to talk about this. But you you at some point became very observant. Of okay, religion, well right? I'll, I'll I'll explain that. Okay, um, my life was still very musical uh, at that time. I went through. Um, l- l- okay, I have to uh, I have to backtrack a moment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're 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 alluding to the six years, uh, definitely a period in my life that I definitely um, uh, prefer to, to forget. But it's sure. it was it was a part of my life um, where I decided in 1993 to pursue Orthodox Judaism. Mm-hmm. I had been I had been raised in a in a house where. Uh, we were Jews culturally, but we weren't uh, Jews religiously uh, at all. Uh, I would say t- totally assimilated and secular from uh, from from that from that point of view. Before '93, I was involved with a conservative um, synagogue. Conservative uh, Judaism is non-orthodox, basically what 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 they like to call traditional, but not strictly. Um, uh, strictly Orthodox. That they, they that was the middle ground between the Reform movement, which was uh, uh, which changed the, uh, the 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 essence of the religion, mm-hmm. uh, conservative Judaism, which was the middle ground, and Orthodoxy, which uh, Hasidic Jews. Is that what we're talking yeah, about? Well, that was uh, the community I was in okay. uh, in Vancouver. Uh, there was a, there was a Chabad uh, community. I don't know if the in Montreal they. Their center is around uh, Westbury in in okay. Cotonège. That's, and uh, I was um, I didn't start out in '93 as as Chabad, but I attended their classes. Uh, I was a I was a UBC uh, student uh, doing my my undergraduate in psychology, and uh, the rabbis from that community were going to the Hillel House, which was the meeting place for Jews on campus, and uh, giving uh, giving classes. And uh, listen, it's not. I, I wouldn't be the first to to say that I went through a period of soul of soul searching. That's very, me, very specific to, way of doing it. A specific yeah. way trying to trying Find to search yourself. for a for exactly mm-hmm. a higher plane of existence. Uh, some people do it through Buddhism or New Age 
philosophies or traveling to all to to various uh, destinations in the Far East or or Africa. Pilgrimage, exactly. Yeah. For me, it was. Um, Getting immersed in in the in this community. How interesting! And uh, of course, this community does not uh, look positively on uh, secular rock and roll or or or, 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 yeah. or 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 so. So the thing is, is that in the beginning, when I was um, when I was affiliated, but I wouldn't say c- uh, completely immersed. I did listen to. The music I had been accustomed to, but I was still observing, still going to synagogue, attending, attending classes, observing the Sabbath. It's very intense, and, right? It's very, yes. very strict, yes. uh, rigorous. And eventually, I started to give up more and more and more of of the life I I, I once knew. And within the religious community, you have a lot of music of its own. Right. You 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 basically have the music that tries to be cutting edge. And hip, but the lyrics are all verses of uh, of Judaism, or all or all, uh, oh, all uh, verses texts. of uh, of, scri- of the scripture. Uh-huh. So uh, I, I guess you 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 could um, you could draw a parallel between uh, Christian metal, yeah, or you know, maybe even just gospel know. music, maybe or something something along those yeah. lines. No, but no, but uh, some of the music I listened to melodically sounded very much like the music I was accustomed to so I would draw the analogy of uh, of a Christian rock or mm-hmm. or a Christian metal which basically says okay we can be as heavy Striper. as uh, exactly as uh, as as uh, the other bands but uh, our lyrics will will give a different message mm-hmm. that was the music I listened to during during that period eventually after graduating from UBC in 96 I uh, I went to uh, what they call an yeshiva, which is an institution of higher learning. Um, this is the precursor to eventually uh, uh, earning what they call in Hebrew smicha, which is rabbinical certification. So you I were on your I, way to become a scholar. I, I, I was in the early stage of of pursuing that goal, but. And we're talking. Uh, you had a beard. Yeah, I was in Brooklyn. I was in Crown Heights. Uh-huh. I had uh, a black hat. Uh, the gear. Uh, I, I exactly that. I you you spent a lot of time living in 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 the plateau where Hasidic Jews have uh, the curls. The community I was in did not have the curls, but we had full beards and mm-hmm. and. Oh, the curls were not in. No, interesting. No, okay. in, in in this in this sect of uh, of Orthodox Judaism. You're you're you don't shave. You grow you 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 grow a full beard, but you don't uh, grow. Can grow you beard. can you clear that up for me? What what is the meaning of the of the um, what do you call there them? There is okay. Those are called peyot, peyot, okay. which are uh, curls. Right. Your sideburns, uh, well, basically. Well, there is there is um, a commandment in the Bible. Um, don't ask me which verse or, sure, sure, or, or sure. which book, but but it is in in the Bible. Uh, Thou shall not cut. The corners of one's beard. Okay. So exactly what that means. Like it could have it, been the chin corner. Exactly. It could have been. <laughs> exactly what that is is debated among among the commentator uh, okay. the commentaries the, uh, the 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 sages. So according to some traditions, it basically meant uh, that at, at the corner you do not cut uh, a certain segment of hair, and that becomes ah. and, and that becomes the curl. According to some, like the community I was in, it basically means. Do not uh, uh, allow allow the beard to grow fully and completely, which is. But uh, but but besides that, we didn't have. Uh, okay, so we, keep we the beard. Have, don't let it get yeah, out of control. Exactly. I mean, okay. you have you have some people that interpret it that it basically means that the sideburns have to reach um, 
have to have to reach a, a certain point, and then you can shave with an electric razor uh, the rest. So you have all wow. all different kinds of interpretations. Now I'm picturing a, a, a sect of uh, Orthodox Jews looking like the Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, <laughs> very similar to how I looked. Yeah, there you go. Very similar. That's very, a good but, look. But, yeah, exactly <laughs> like that, but uh, but with a beard. Okay. Uh, trying to put, um, trying to abbreviate that yeah. that segment of my life, basically. I, it reached a point where I wasn't going to have any more of it. I realized that how certain things were presented to me in the very beginning that 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 actually got me interested had absolutely no bearing on what was actually involved. And um, they didn't I, walk the walk as far as no. You could and tell and, ba- and basically, in yeah, I made a, I made a decision for first of all before before leaving the religious fold completely. In nine, I because I because I joined this yeshiva, the Institute of uh, of, of uh, Rabbinical Learning, in ninety six. I would say sometime in ninety eight. I said to myself, okay, before I give it up completely, I'm definitely going to leave Crown Heights and I'm going to leave the school, but I'm going to go back to Montreal and still remain Orthodox, but uh, try to find a job, try to try to sort these things out. Mm-hmm. How old are you at this point? Oh, I was twenty-three. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was born in seventy-three. Yeah, so nice job there. Yeah, <laughs> so you're in your you're in your early twenties. Yeah, and by by I mean by this point, you've already lived so much, and yeah. you've already experienced all yeah. these like major sort of decisions. Exactly, but I remember I remember vividly. Okay, I had left I had left Brooklyn. I was back uh, I was back in Montreal, February nineteen ninety-nine. I said, I'm absolutely having enough. If my decision uh, results in me being a sinner, an infidel, or, or 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 what have you, I couldn't care less. I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm out. I'm out fully and completely, and That's never it. never looked back. Okay. How good does it feel to shave that beard? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Or did you hang on to it for a bit? No, I. Um, well, before eventually making the final decision, in February of. Uh, no, no, I have. I'm good. In, in in February of '99, uh, I uh, I went through a period where I was trimming it, but uh, no, that was that was my official decision. To uh, I had enough. <laughs> Six years is enough. Yeah. So you got you got the sales pitch and exactly and it exactly. didn't uh, it didn't quite pan out the way uh-huh. that they pitched it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's a lot. That's, that happens a lot with multiple religions wherever they have the recruiters, you know. Fire in the hole. And fire in the hole. Fire in the hole. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to that, man. What a what an adventure. I mean, um, I've heard a, I'd heard the expression "leaving the fold," and I think there's even a documentary about it. There is a great movie. Um, I have it at home. Yeah, uh, I think I I think I saw the trailer, but I never never didn't get a chance to watch it. But I was very interested because, in a way, it's it's a much larger, much more human story than people realize. I think because you can name the community what you want it, right? Right. Every, there's similar stories everywhere in the world. Any Absolutely. kind of segregated, um, closed society or 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 very strict set of code, uh, and then you're going to have people who are going to leave. You know, and that might be a Jewish community. That might be. Um, it could be a club, right? It could be. It could be anything, but the the absolute um, like perseverance and determination to to, to to rip yourself away from that after you've known yeah. it for six years, 
That meant leaving behind your friends. Yes. Leaving behind a community, everything you knew, uh, right? Starting, starting from scratch. That's, jeez. Uh, you couldn't uh, maintain friendships with anybody from that community. I mean, you, you have to understand is that they, they have a very liberal, or some of them have a liberal attitude towards people that were never involved with the religion at all. So they don't know better. They're what what they call in Hebrew tinokochenishbu, which is uh, infants in captivity. Right, that was you know, insane. They, they don't know better. They they were they were born assimilated. Like They're, zoo lions. A, 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 exactly. We need to we need to have some compassion. But Amir, somebody that turned to the religion, somebody that was a synagogue member, somebody that was a, that was affiliated, somebody that was in Brooklyn Crown Heights, deciding to leave the fold. This is heresy with a capital H. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're the fallen. Yeah, exactly. It's like a life now of rebellion I, over here. <laughs> now, now I was fortunate in that I didn't come from a community that um, uh, somehow um, uh, caused uh, any harm in my life once I left. Okay, uh, it could have been. Which, yeah. which, which, yeah. which happens in 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 some religious communities. I mean, you hear the stories of the people who leave and the ramifications of their decisions and the consequences and and because uh, there's there's some organized crime sometimes or, or or actually probably like not mafia. They call it the Jewish mafia, but it's 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 like there are there are people who do not do not like someone leaving because it, yeah. it sends a like a ripple down the exactly right anyone else so, might be on so the you fence. have uh, so you have stories of people getting harassed once they leave the fold mm-hmm. and that uh, fortunately none of that none of that happened to me good for you. but it's basically a world because you see their their acceptance of you was based on your adherence uh, to the code exactly was yeah. based on your adherence uh, and 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 in submission to the to the code uh, while some would remain uh, cordial and and and, uh, and 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 polite, but still, I mean, it's the uh, matrix. It's you, exactly you the the, it. the essence of what connected you with with, with them before is shattered mm-hmm. completely. So it's it's a ba- it was basically not having contact uh, with them, not being contacted by them, which was a big relief, and rebuilding my life. But I'm thinking if we're all going to mix anyway, let's start mixing people now that would never normally mix, <laughs> just to see what we get. You know, hook up a Jamaican with an Italian. They could have little pastafarians, you know? I'm Indian. I could hook up with a Jewish girl. We could have little Hindus. Get a woman from the Philippines, a guy from Holland, little jalapenos. Well, the thing is, what I told you in the very beginning, because I, I actually I liked your first... Um, the the first session of comedy works right. better than, than the second yeah the second one was was not as good i, I, I like i like the first one and i told you that you found uh, a very delicate balancing act you handled some subjects that were very um, blistering very 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 yeah. disturbing subjects you're talking you're talking about uh nazi crimes you're talking about a father that uh beat his kid that, that mm-hmm. beat his kid and is not going to jail you talked about uh Basically, uh, parents at a at an indoor park that neglect their their yeah. their, their kids. All, all all these factors potentially being seen as some sort of creep. Exactly. You know? yeah. Subjects where, depending on on the approach taken, you can either grossly offend, yeah. but instead you don't grossly uh, offend. But what you do is that you find that satirical angle, that that humorous satirical angle that everybody can relate to. That's 
that's incredible, you know, to 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 achieve that. Well, thank you. That's a high praise. But uh, I, I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. But I think, I think what it is, and I don't know if that's what we call a voice or a direction to go in. But I find like it's it's a very human thing to when you you're faced with horror horror. Yeah. That to and you want to sort of find a way to deal with it. Um, comedy is often. Um, well, well, the thing is, tool. is that uh, different comedians define comedy differently, and uh, you have you have some comedians that just repeat their their same um, style over over and over again, and it, and it's basically people that get off uh, by insulting others. Right. That yeah. that that's their that's their uh, so bread and butter. It, that's their bread and butter. That's uh, and uh, people say, oh, he's. He's so courageous. Look, look at how many people he's offending, you know. But it, uh, but but the thing is to to manage to take a subject matter that that can be disturbing, that can be that can be controversial. But instead of uh, targeting uh, individuals in a, in a condescending matter or or an insulting matter, to try to find that humorous satirical angle that that I I really admired. About, uh, thank you. It's it's a fine line. It really is. And mm -hmm. uh, Rich and I like we staked out a lot of comedy um, beforehand. Before I got the courage to go up, like I we wanted to see what what was going on. And when we watch comedy specials, we tend to both kind of be analytical. We'll laugh. We'll watch the show, enjoy the material, but we like to study the almost in a sports kind of way. Like, oh, you see how he shifted there. That was interesting. Right. How he brought that home and. Oh, surprise here. This is a uh, an established comic and I feel like he went in the wrong direction here. So it's 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 really it's a it's an art form, I right. find. And um I don't know. I'm just gonna I got some ideas. I just wanna keep going out there and then we'll see what happens, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Well someone said that hum humor is inherently cruel. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think it has to be, but it's it's a big part of it. I think there's a there's a famous Mel Brooks quote where he, where he's like, um I love Mel Brooks, yeah. Yeah, I think he's like comedy is not when I slip on a banana peel. Comedy is when you fall down a manhole and die. <laughs> but that see that the, the great thing about that is like like Mel Brooks. Um, that's kind of that's so Mel Brooks. Mm -hmm. That's that's kind of the, the the epitome of of who he was. He could talk about sort of touchy subjects, uh, but do it in this like hilarious way, right? Mm -hmm. He could just. Like get people to laugh, and he made some really controversial films. You know, like he's very, seen as, very cutting edge, very yeah. pushing the, the envelope. Now he's like. seen as like this kind old man, and he was there at the you know he's one of the pioneers. Mm -hmm. But some of the stuff he did uh, was really edgy. You know, it really it it, it paved the way for a lot of. I don't uh, think I was exposed to him that much. I think the one that sticks out the most is Spaceballs. Spaceballs, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's probably not May a great Schwartz example. May the Schwartz be with you. <laughs> May the Schwartz be with you. Yeah, that was yeah. him at, I guess, that was him almost past his prime, but, like, just yeah. delivering the very best yeah. of... And it was great. No, introducing Mel Brooks to a new generation. That yeah. was Spaceballs. That's that was, true. Uh, not not the, the generation that uh, grew up with high anxiety and blazing saddles. And, yeah, uh, blazing know. saddles, that's a big one. Oh, yeah, that's a big one, too, yeah. That's yeah. a big one. Is, is there a... So, a, yeah, sorry, you were going to say? No, no, no. I was going to say, um, I guess there's a broader question that I yes. want to put to you. Being uh, that you are so deeply into music, there are these questions that come back, this, this, these discussions about music that are very uh, recurrent. This idea of every generation kind of feeling like the music they came up with was the best. 
and that the new stuff is aimless or the new stuff is just copying off of what was done before and that, oh, man, remember the good old days, remember the good old days. That uh, didn't apply to me. Um, when I was growing up as a kid in the 80s, I, of course, loved the music of earlier decades, and I found many artists within the 80s that um, that basically showcased the earlier decades for the new generation to, to, to discover. Mm. For example, an 80s child watching MTV or much music and the, and the videos that were on TV, you you repeatedly saw an incredible group like the Stray Cats. And what were what was the music they were playing? They were playing rockabilly. They mm-hmm. were playing 50s rock and roll. They were uh, playing uh, a style of music that was influenced by Buddy Holly and Eddie Cochran and um, that an early Elvis Presley yeah. before, before 1956. So that was part of the music uh, to which um, we had been exposed in, in, uh, in the 80s. Um, again... Um, somebody who was raised with in the MTV generation or the Much Music generation, somebody like Stevie Ray Vaughan, who had regular videos in rotation, introduced us to to blues. Mm-hmm. When we saw videos for Cold Shot, for Couldn't Stand the Weather, for 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 Change It, that was uh, for for those of us that maybe did not immediately know BB uh, King or Buddy Guy or Otis Rush or Muddy Waters the that 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 scene that was the door that uh, that opened it for us. So uh, I um, I definitely wasn't of the attitude that that admiring the earlier decades somehow conflicted with the current music uh, of of the time. I managed to build a bridge between the two mm-hmm. growing up in the eighties. In the in the nineties, I did not. I was not as. Uh, a big fan of of uh, the current music of the '90s, and I was I was immersed in the music of uh, of of, uh, of earlier decades, but I still you respected the, it whoop, you made as uh, as 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 extremely talented musicians, as as great artists. Unlike the auto tune, uh, computerized uh, crap that we that that uh, well, that see, this is what I'm as, saying, right? As as pop as pop music today, this I mean, regardless what your taste is. We, you know, in, in at, at, at earlier times, you you had to know you had to know how to write a song, you had to know how to play an instrument, you had to know how to sing. Yeah, <laughs> what's what's uh, what's happening now? It's just... so you do feel that so we've that things have fallen off a little bit with the new music. Thing, things have fallen off, but when you're fortunate enough to be active in a local blues scene, you de- you then discover new bands. And when I say new bands, these are bands that maybe uh, struggled in the clubs for for t- for fifteen uh, to twenty years, but you're discovering them. You're discovering them now as a new band, and they're starting to get influenced by the right sources, and that's what we see today. So uh, definitely, uh, while while there's definitely a lot of garbage that's dominating the charts, that's dominating uh, pop radio, I uh, I don't uh, give up hope. Because uh, when you look at a, a at a new band like the Sheepdogs, or you look at a, a band, Miles uh, loves the Sheepdogs. Uh, yeah? yeah, when you look at bands in in the United States like uh, like Black like uh, Blackberry Smoke, when you look at bands like uh, Blackstone Cherry, mm-hmm. or uh, like the band that I saw recently at Cafe Campus, uh, the Temperance Movement, this is part of the Southern Rock revival, which is basically young bands, th- uh, new bands that write their own songs. 
that do all original material, but they're inspired by the right sources. You hear their music, they're inspired by early Rod Stewart from the, the Jeff Beck Rock. group okay. and, and the Faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear early old Aerosmith from, uh, from, from the early 70s. You hear Humble Pie. You hear the influence of the Allman Brothers and Skinnerd. And they're writing songs. Mm. So that's, that's definitely a, a, a very important hope for, uh, for, for this generation. That's happened with heavy metal too. Yes, yeah. uh, absolutely. A lot of guys are going back to the source. Uh, High on Fire, uh, bands like that uh, are revisiting like the sludge, country, rock, uh, hard rock, uh, you know, triumph, right. Sabbath yes, years. Yes, the, the arena rock. Yeah. The arena rock sound of, uh, of, of the 70s the, the and 80s. Pre, the pre-hair <laughs> the pre-hair era, which right. in its time was also considered heresy, right? Uh, yeah. When like the Skid Rose and the... And like the Motley Crue's came right, out, right? To the all of like the Eagles and the Rush people, this and Foreigner was, and this was Sticks, high right. heresy. Like yeah, these right. guys, what is it? Who was it that said it? Some comedian said like, uh, when I was young, there was real music. I think Bill Burr said it. He's like. I came from a time where men dressed like women and sang about the devil. <laughs> That's what I call music. <laughs> and I thought that was pretty cool. Why? And there's another thing I what um, what I want to mention that uh, I went through a period. I would say in the early to mid two thousands, when unfortunately I was spending all my money, uh, large amounts of money, to see big names in stadiums. At the Bolson Center or or the Bell Center, mm-hmm. and I I to a certain extent I regret that now because I've I've become very active in the local scene of blues and blues infused uh, rock bands and and uh, cover bands, and the truth is in the local scene that I see in many clubs and and uh, bars uh, through, through throughout the city I see the highest level of talent the highest caliber of uh, talent people who are genuinely appreciative of, of the fans that uh, that that go out to see you can we say this about uh, the people who packed the 20 30,000 um, uh, arenas that that there is a connection <laughs> between between yeah. them and the and the and, and the fans yeah. I could be I'm not. I'm not saying There's, no, but I think if if you but, find uh, any artists that are still making that connection, they tend to be older acts. Exactly. Exactly. Like but Maiden, uh, uh, you know, Bowie before he passed, Prince before he passed. Right. Like the old timers were still that kind could of, relate to that. Maybe could relate to uh, the earlier period of their careers that right. uh, still were very conscious of of, uh, of the struggles and were very appreciative of of the support. And um, I think there was a humility. Uh, as big as these, some of these rock stars were in that period of 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s, there was still the feeling of a humility in terms of being very thankful for the for right. for the response, for the people coming out to see the show. Absolutely. Right? And then you would play, play an extra hour. Yeah. You would, <laughs> That's right. you know, they'd have to kind of turn off the lights. You would bring people up on the stage. You jam. You, you'd almost take that like Frank Zappa approach to it where right. every night was a special night. Right. right? And then at some point, I think it just as record sales started to dwindle with the uh, advent of the internet and everything, it just became a, this very cold kind of like come and worship at the altar of this megastar now and come and fight for tickets to his show. And then he's just going to be about himself or about herself for an hour and a half and then go buy some merchandise and see you later. Remember to download the new album. 
right? <laughs> As opposed to some bands, like guys like Sting. I was never a huge Sting fan. I still am not. I, I love some of his st- songs, but right. never hugely into Gordon. Um, but you always felt that no matter how huge and inter- international he was, he was always really connected to to his fans, and that. Well, he actually has a reputation for being very conceited, but uh, that's as a uh, musician, yes. But as a, as a, as in terms for the fans, I I, okay. I always got the impression yeah. that his fans, he was very close to his fans. Well, that's that's I, I, my I, impression. I'm a fan, I'm a fan of, of. But you know, uh, I, I grew up with the Police. I, you know, definitely I saw him live uh, as a solo artist many, a number of times. Uh, Can you say that he's ever? You've ever seen him and didn't feel like well, he well, gave well, everything? Well, no, I have. Def- I I was definitely impressed by by what he delivered in a, in a live show. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, when you speak to interviewers, when you speak to people in the music press, right. they're not the biggest fans of uh, true of of him. True, a, true. But then, the, is that an indictment, or is that maybe the fact that he, is is that maybe actually even more of a credit to him because he doesn't like the media? And he doesn't like the the whole uh, pomp and circumstance of like you have to kind of dance for the 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 media and give them a story every time they well, that's interview. That's that's an interesting spin. It I, depends. Uh, it depends. I'm on, not. On, on, I'm certainly not. I've heard, to, I've heard different attitudes. You it. say you're not a sting fan, but you certainly sound. I'm like starting to sound like <laughs> coming to his defense, <laughs> a sting a apologist. Yeah. I don't know. I just I I see a guy like that, and I feel like whatever he may or may not have been like. I mean. That is not to say that this generation owns the arrogant super superstar persona. Like that, they were. They, that, that has been a long. Every, every age has had their like uh, circle of sort of religious leading leader type hmm. uh, the, stars. But I don't know. The thing is, with my experience in in the local blues scene, I can't. Uh, look at Sting and, and suddenly somehow be overwhelmed by uh, by a sense of, of connection with with his fan base. When you, uh, oh, uh, in comparison, uh, in, in comparison, yeah, yeah of course. And uh, but it's like it, watching. Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but it's like watching uh, uh, minor league sports. It's the same idea, right? You watch the NFL or you watch the major leagues, and then you're like really into that for a while, and suddenly you catch like a minor league game, and these young people are just like leaving everything there on this on the field. And they, right. because there's no b- millions and there's no huge contracts, they're playing it for the pure love of the sport, and you almost end up loving it more after a while than the big, big glossy stuff, because they're still hard right. into it. You know, there's still hard innovation. They still want to push the limits. Exactly. But um, there, there's another thing I wanted to mention that when you're looking at the local scene, especially in blues or blues-infused rock, you have a venue in Quebec like uh, Smoke Me Pete's. Neil Perot. Mm-hmm. Now, th- this is this is a really unique place because in Neil Perot, it's a deli restaurant. Okay, it's exactly like a Schwartz's uh, deli or 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 main deli. It's it's a hole in the wall. It's a very small place. I don't think they have a capacity inside for more than maybe for a hundred people, if, if 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 that. Okay, but they have live blues seven days a week. Seven days a week, and they attract many of the greatest musicians I've ever seen and heard. Okay. They they love coming to this place. They probably don't make uh, a great deal of money uh, playing there. I mean, I because there's no cover charge. Uh, you just order your food and... Uh, come in and watch and, the show. And, 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 and uh, come in and watch. So that automatically tells you that uh, that they're limited in what they can pay out to, to the bands. But they're not short 
of the greatest talent in guitar players and in, in, in blues musicians in, in general uh, going to Smoke Meat Pete's uh, to jam. Just uh, this past Saturday, I, I, I was there and I see a band with uh, two members of April Wine. Really? We're, ta- we're talking here about one of the biggest classic Canadian classic rock bands. And a guy, uh, you know, the, the, the members of April Wine, they still tour... Uh, the with with and, with, yeah. with with April Wine, they will still uh, perform, uh, do some very large uh, outdoor shows in 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 the summer with very large crowds, or they're in uh, Las Vegas or uh, d- different concert halls with with uh, with very large capacities, and yet. In his spare time, he wants to find a place where 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 to, where to jam. He's at Smoke Meat Pete's, you know. And uh, I just I feel that that smoke smoke meat Pete's is exactly where you should go to hear blues. Like that just sounds so right to me. No, no, no. I I recommend it to 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 anybody. You you can't find a better place. That's uh, it's first of all the food is great. Yeah. If you like. If you like deli restaurants, you're you're not gonna find. Uh, I do. Uh, <laughs> you're not you're not gonna find a better place. Guilty as charged. And uh, great music. So this episode of Fire in the Hole is brought to you by Smoke Meat Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Threw in the plug. I would, I would take that sponsorship in a heartbeat. Mm. <laughs> I would, I would just the whole place would just be smoke meat all the time. We just be like, <laughs> it'd be the most difficult thing to listen to. <laughs> it's like so. <laughs> Just gorging ourselves. Yeah. Well, well, the thing is, is ju- just like at in, at Schwartz's, yeah, you can find some very famous people it's just true. going there for for smoked meat sandwich. Walensky's too. Walensky's too. It's so and it looks like it looks like the place time forgot. Like there's it, yeah. the, the 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 chairs are worn so thin, <laughs> they look exactly, like crackers. Exactly. Because <laughs> you know it's the original, uh, it's the original chair that's been there for 40, 50, I don't mm-hmm. know how many years. Um, was it Decary Hot Dog? Is another place like that? Have you yeah, been there? Yeah, yeah. What a what a time like warp when you walk in there. There's literally four or five booths, and it looks like those guys have just somehow the 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 oil from the fries has like coated them, <laughs> and they're immortal. <laughs> and when you ask for a, a soda, they still uh, they still pop the the cap off with the with the on the fridge edge. Like you still get the old sodi pop bottle. Mm. Big shout out to uh, Lisa Lowen out in Saskatchewan, who uh, used to be my uh, sodi pop hot dog uh, <laughs> partner in crime. <laughs> we used to go there, and uh, yeah, man, there's something about those places. I guess it's just like they have just pure love of something, and then the big artists they just go down there because they know right. it's a legit place. Yeah, the owner of Smoky Pete's, he's the um, the son of the owner of the main deli. Okay. I don't know if you ever if you ever go to the main deli. I to, might have been to it. Where is it? Right across from Schwartz's. Okay, I think. Oh yes, yes, I've been. Yeah, actually, I prefer it to Schwartz's. Yeah, yeah. I'm one of those heathens that doesn't <laughs> doesn't think Schwartz's <laughs> is the best smoked meat yeah. in the world. Mm. I've had it in a couple of other places where it's better. Yeah. I actually ended up going to across the street because mm. I there was a never ending line. Yeah, that's get. right. There's always the line up at Schwartz's, but uh, at the main you can you can find a seat right away, and it's, and it's uh, very decent. Yeah, and he's the son of uh, the owner of the main. Oh, okay. The uh, the guy at Pete's. So yeah. you go seven days a week, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you'd love you'd you'd go, wouldn't you? Well, no, I listen. I, it, it's everything within the limits, but it's a place I enjoy going. Okay, and every night is a good night to go. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. Yeah. I, they like they always have, they always they, they will always have uh, a band play with first rate musicians. Okay, yeah, I'm they, definitely top top of the line. 
And uh, yeah, I you know the, the thing is every night there's always something great happening there. Mm-hmm. Many times when I'm there, it's on a, it's on a Friday night or or, or Saturday, but uh, it's it's always great. Blues and music—that's what I love about things like blues and jazz. Is I'm not a huge blues and jazz head, but they're they have a kind of a a, a built-in safety lock on on these type these genres of music because you can't you're really not gonna go play blues if you, unless you can play the blues. You know, yeah. it's a music that's so bare bones, it's right. so open. Uh, it's not layered behind, you know, electronic uh, no. uh, devices. It's just you, the instrument, and the people in front of you. It's you. It's 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 basically it's not those forgiving. those that listen to the records that um, were mesmerized by the records, and uh, the, this was the the music uh, for which uh, the, they wanted to make uh, make their living, their, yeah. their vocation. But I mean, if you just if you if you stink it up. With the, you know, if you not don't know what you're doing with the blues, oh, forget it. Ten forget seconds it. Yeah. and you're done. That's what I mean. When I saw my favorite band, King King, uh, July 2013 at uh, the at the Rialto Theater, that was uh, uh, that knocked knocked it out of the out of the park for me because yeah. uh, there you're like there you are you are yeah. you are connected to yeah. that band. Yeah, well, listen, everybody has their favorite. Everybody has their um, the 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 band that are, that affected them. On an emotional level, uh, in a very in a very profound way, and for me, and for me, it's them, mm-hmm. because I saw I saw a band that represented the best of of classic rock, the best of blues, but done with original material. But again, uh, influenced by the Wellsprings, you could see a band that that delved into the Wellsprings of uh, of what I consider to be the best music uh, ever. Making it their own and just performing, being a live performance band like uh, like like no other. Yeah, I mean, uh, Amir a, went to Scotland for these guys. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. Because they're a Scottish blues band. Oh, yeah. After I saw them here, and when they were here in 2013, they weren't only in Montreal. They went to Montremblant. They were in Ottawa Blues. Uh, they performed um, on Canada AM. In front of a televised audience of one million uh, people, that, that's uh, the people that tune in to to see Canada AM on mm-hmm. on CTV mm-hmm. News. And I said to myself, "Okay, th- they're going to be big. I don't think I have to wait more than a year for them to come back uh, to 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 Montreal." Unfortunately, as great as they are, the the status of the business and uh, the ability to bring bands across the pond hugely it's, problematic. It's, now. And yeah. uh, it, it wasn't like that before. In uh, Montreal, actually, has a chip on on its shoulder that uh, in the past they used to uh, form uh, bonds with artists that were not commercially viable, uh, but but somehow uh, struck a chord with with Montreal audiences and uh, people were committed to keep on bringing them back, and you see that with uh, Peter Gabriel, early Genesis. So they, they were they were not darlings in North America. No, at all. they had no market in elsewhere in Canada. They had no market in the U.S., but in Quebec, they performed to four or five thousand people at, uni- at the Université de Montréal at uh, at Sepsum. Mm-hmm. and um, Pink Floyd before Dark Side of the Moon with earlier albums like Amagama, like uh, like like Adam Hartmother had a huge audience in it was in, in it, Montreal. Basically, they got into North America th- through this little yeah. little pocket. Exactly. That was and there were many in that category. Krista Berg, Styx, um, many, um, even the police. Mm-hmm. Even the police with uh, with, the, with the very first al- album, uh, Outlandos d'Amour with, uh, with Roxanne. Um, 
before uh, establishing a market in the United States and elsewhere in Canada, that they were big. They, landed they were here. big in Montreal, and it was basically people that even without looking to make a to 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 make to make a profit, just doing everything they could using all of their resources to 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 bring the bands back. Mm-hmm. Even uh, even initially, when the shows were not uh, were not uh, great success, but eventually. These bands have formed an audience. There and, was just uh, a, a, a like a rabid desire to hear the best music, exactly. no matter where it came from. And with these artists, you you always find that uh, that they are always enthusiastic about returning to Montreal. Yeah. Dennis DeYoung, the former former lead singer of Styx, he can announce that he's going to be performing in Montreal, and he can sell out seven, eight nights at uh, Place des Arts in, uh, you know, in, a in, heartbeat, in, yeah. a, in a heartbeat. I think Maiden starts all their tours here. They tend to start their tours in they Quebec. They used to. I remember. Yeah. I, they they, they used to start their, their tours here. Uh, even U2, I think, Yeah, heavily, yeah. Have, which, I mean, whether you like them or not, um, probably one of the biggest bands ever. Well, there's, there's actually video footage of U2 uh, playing at the Spectrum, in uh, in 1980, this is before uh, uh, before the War album, before Just Sunday Bloody Sunday, uh-huh. and all and, the big uh, big hits, yeah. and uh, the and and the big hits in in, in 1980 when I think uh, they're you know with I will follow and uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you see them performing the kids, at, um, yeah, exactly at the, at the spectrum. So there are many many in, in that in that category. So obviously, I saw that uh, it was going to be a very hard struggle. To campaign to bring King King uh, back to Montreal, right now, uh, before we can even think about uh, King King uh, returning to Montreal, uh, most importantly, we, we want uh, the lead singer to have um, a speedy recovery. Uh, by we are you are you the fans fan club? Uh, the, yeah, the, the the diehard fans of uh, of mm-hmm. uh, of uh, King King because uh, he has such a powerhouse voice and he has such a work ethic where he was literally gigging in, in a different on a different stage every night. He burned out his voice. And, well, he he developed polyps on his oh, yeah. uh, on his vocal cords, and luckily through early detection, he had a he had a successful surgery mm-hmm. uh, to remove them. But now it's a it's a big struggle to get his uh, voice back in shape to uh, to go to head back into the grind. Mm-hmm. So uh, before, I mean, obviously, I I I would uh, I would be I would be delighted for them to come back uh, much more uh, much more often but the key right now is uh, healing is uh, is for but him so to get better what what prompted your your going there well what what I what I said when I saw that um, it was a struggle to uh, bring over uh, blues rock bands uh, to uh, to Montreal across the pond from from the UK I said to myself listen I, I may not be able to do this uh, several times in my life or or often but at least once, I'm gonna head over there, and I'm gonna watch. Uh, I want to watch them perform in his hometown in in Glasgow, and uh, it was great. I was there in in Glasgow, Scotland, for eight days, and uh, it wasn't a sightseeing uh, visit. It was it was mainly a musical uh, visit where I got to uh, I got to see a number of blues bands in the clubs. I got to see King King live. I uh, yeah, you got a hero's welcome when you went there. Yeah, right? absolutely. Well, they're listen. They're very. They're a very appreciative uh, scene uh, for people uh, outside of the scene that uh, that uh, that do all they can to promote and and to and to carry the flag yeah, for uh, for, for Scottish flattering. blues. 
It's hugely flattering. So it was uh, it was great to make a lot of friends uh, there, and I discovered bands that for me are in the same caliber as as uh, as the greatest blues rock bands that that we that we ever had. Um, really, that, that good. That, that if you if we want to talk about. Uh, Bands like John Mayle and the Blues Breakers, or Peter Green's Fleetwood, Fleetwood Mac, or the or Humble Pie. Ten years after, these are groups in in uh, in as far as I'm concerned, Hall of Famers. Exactly. If they don't have the, that recognition uh, today, they certainly have the talent of uh, of those bands. So. Yeah, that always impresses me. Um, you know, and you see it on again on the internet. You see on YouTube, you, like. Yeah. Uh, I remember how worshipped some of the greatest X-Men were like in metal bands and in, in rock bands. Like there was the pantheon of the great X-Men or whatever. And now like fast forward 15, 20 years later, you go on YouTube and there's some 15 year old with like a nine string guitar playing uh, a progressive tech metal and just banging out songs every couple of weeks. Just some kid, you know, with, with an incredibly complex instrument, like Juilliard level instrument and they're just belting out or 60 year olds doing acdc or you know like that part of the internet is really fun like for youtube i don't know i don't know if there's ever a band for me that was that huge whereas like i would have been that committed to it so it's it's really cool Well, for you it's in the metal scene yeah but metal when i was a kid it was mostly pop i listened to a lot of pop when i was a kid the gateway drug was guns and roses okay and then uh one summer I went to Hungary and my cousin was f- going through a like a full-on craze of doors. Yeah. Okay. Like he literally like walked around with no shirt and leather pants on. Uh, and like Jim long Morrison, hair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And he, he could pull it off. You know, he could pull it off. And then the other half of him was completely uh, in love with uh, Dream Theater uh, and Slayer and Napalm Death and all these other things, Pantera and all these like bands. And I was like, oh God, this stuff is so abrasive. But one summer of him not refusing to turn it down by even a notch, I came home with like uh, the bite, you know? It just got into the system and I never looked back. And now he's moved on like from that type okay. of music. Like now I come back to him with these like, listen to this band and this band. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm yeah, kind those, of over, those are my past. <laughs> I'm kind of over this. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> this stuff is the best. <laughs> you know, come it's interesting. Come back. <laughs> it's interesting with me. There's there's always been a consistency in the music I like. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of what's the, the yeah, I, I mean, I mean, the thing is, I've always had a very eclectic taste in music. I've always, uh, I mean, now we're talking about blues or blues-infused uh, rock bands, but I always loved uh, the crooners. I can always listen to, listen to Tony Bennett or Frank Sinatra. And, uh, Which is no accident, as or, we now know. Or classic French uh, vocalists. Uh, See, that's the thing. Yeah. I never listened to the French stuff later in life, but if you play it, I'll immediately love it because my mom used to listen to it. So, okay. You know, and I remember as a teenager going to parties when uh, Bob Marley became a, like a staple. Everyone had the Legend album. Yeah. Right, and it would play One love uh, every was, party, yeah. Buffalo Soldier, oh, yeah. uh, all of those songs, right? And I realized I knew the lyrics, and I, I'm like, how how come I know the lyrics? And I, it, it kicked in later that my mom listened to this stuff. Mm-hmm. Was there any stuff like this for you, like this musical awakening? Well, you're a sax so, player, yeah. yeah. You played. Uh, you were into jazz, right? Well, yeah, uh, I played in a jazz band, but that was like kind of going back to high school. Okay. Yeah. No, we, we didn't have a lot of music playing in there. In the home, that's not a huge thing. No, but you, you clearly what I do now. Like a, you love music. Like yeah. you have a bunch of it. Yeah. 
where where did your thing start like did you have like a band or something that like i think i had a pretty similar path to yours there was a lot of guns and roses nirvana before that it was like skid row and other bands i'm embarrassed to listen to mr bungle and chili peppers yeah all that stuff okay and then but then you kind of i don't even know what your your tastes are kind of eclectic but you tend to go towards kind of uh um i don't know what to call it i guess maybe post Every, everything but metal and and uh country yeah <laughs> to you that's like kind of to yeah those are the lines i won't cross okay Do you still play sax uh, uh, i still have one i've been trying to get back into it recently but uh no i think i'm thinking about maybe switching to a different instrument yeah, yeah. Okay. are you thinking of picking up another one yeah really yeah maybe. Huh. you didn't tell me this yeah, I don't know. I thought I, need about, to know I was playing tenor <laughs> tenor saxophone. I was thinking about mm-hmm. maybe trying uh, Barry sax instead. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Like Definitely. I, uh, New theme song. Yeah. <laughs> because because I know that Richard's background is in is in jazz. I I definitely recommend it to actually to the both of you to uh, to see the new movie uh, Born to Be Blue, the uh, bio uh, biopic of uh, Chet Baker. Chet Baker with uh, okay. Ethan Hawke. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I've heard. I heard it's a it's a it's a deep film. There's very, another very one uh, with. Um, there's one, but uh, Miles Davis that came out too with. with uh, yeah, uh, what's his name? Uh, the guy that Cheadle Don yeah, Cheadle Don Cheadle. That's it. Yeah. Have you seen that one? No, no. Nope. Uh, I'm sort of curious about checking yeah. because I know Miles Davis was a bit of a. An, uh, well, my, the thing about Miles Davis is he was a musical genius, but uh, there wasn't anything. Uh, it's a bit of a jerk. Uh, right? Nothing, nothing to admire about his behavior. Yes, okay, you could say his behavior was uh, was a drug induced, but this is a chronic uh, wife beater. He's a nasty guy. He nearly murdered some of his wives. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, he's is, from that Ike Turner like. Well, uh, uh, one of uh, his wife at the time made a comment that uh, they just came back from a party, and she thought uh, Quincy Jones uh, was handsome. Uh-huh. That's all he needed to hear. He went crazy. Yeah, well... Again, again, uh, to what extent was he himself responsible for the behavior? To what extent was the cocaine? Uh, Look, uh, I I think uh, we're all on the the same page that Mm -hmm. when you're talking about inflicting harm on on somebody else, you can't use the booze or or the drugs as a crutch. I mean, uh, it's... uh, There's responsibility. That was a 70s defense. (laughs) Then came insanity... Now comes uh, something else, yeah. No, but Miles Davis did horrible things. Of course, no, he was a bad person, um, and and that's what that that you know that's a fascinating thing. That's a fascinating thing that we keep coming up against as uh, as uh, in culturally, yeah. is great artists that unfortunately do not live up to the greatness of their art in terms of being. In fact, it's almost behavior. they almost have an inverse relationship, yeah. you know, and and. What do you do with that? What do you do with the Roman Polanski, right? And the Woody Allens. And or Woody the, Allen. Yeah. Uh, what do you do with, with people who have a reputation for, for for things that would very quickly get us... Bill to Cosby. Sh- I mean, I, he, was a, he, he was a hero of mine uh, as a kid. You know? <laughs> that's, uh, Tom Cruise that's went insane or was yeah. always crazy. Uh, uh, that's, that's still John not Tra- comparable. I mean... Uh, I don't know. High priest of a, of a, of a, of a, a kooky religion yeah. cult. Yeah. 
that, that's pretty up there. You've, have you seen mm. them with the medallion, really? like presiding over the masses with the oh oil painting like of clergy, L. Ron like Hubbard? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> with a with a, a like a giant gold plate around his neck. It's it's surreal. It's surreal. Uh, 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 John Travolta kind of also yeah. being really weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Mel Gibson losing his mind. It's like, like Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson going out yeah. on a on a sour note. You know, it's like. Uh, either we just had a really exaggerated expectation of these people because of what they were capable of producing as artists and we just expected them to be flawless, as flawless as they made us feel musically, or um, they were never those the people we thought they, like, they were always terrible. And we just looked the other way because they made us feel good. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a, it's a tough tough situation it's a tough call it's uh it's almost like there's a there's like a, a a level as to like there's at some level where an artist goes too far and you no mm. longer you're like what did he he rob a store oh, that's still cool that's still rock and roll okay well, if you're a shitty drug addled violent douchebag you better learn how to sing <laughs> right <laughs> so that people will forgive you <laughs> yeah pretty much uh, you can get away with a lot you don't need to change your behavior you just need to learn how to sing <laughs> yeah yeah, and uh, and your looks too kind of take a backseat to everything else if you mm-hmm. can uh, if you can sing. Oh, that's true. As proven again and again and again and again and again mm-hmm. by many rock stars. Double A. Uh, I always say this, but I I feel like there's so much more we could get into. Right. But uh, um, you know, this has been really really interesting. Excellent. No. You you really have a gift for this. I feel <laughs> like you do. I appreciate it. Thanks. And you have to promise to come back. Yes. And uh, you know. Um, Talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. All right. If you don't start your own podcast first, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, you can have us as a guest. On yeah, we'll be we'll we'll be right on that show. <laughs> if you want to start your own show, I'd listen to you. And uh, I'm telling you, man, you you are. I think anyone that's into music, rock and roll, the history, the 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 stats, and all that. I think uh, I think I think James would get a kick out of meeting Amir. Yeah, I think our, so. our friend James Malik. Yeah, he yeah. he's deeply into that stuff too. I think you guys okay. could trade blows. Sure. Yeah, so I think he's pretty close. That, to that's actually of, uh, an idea, maybe for for future uh, fi- fire in the holds mm-hmm. to have two guests. Yes, we we occasionally do have them. Uh, okay, but we haven't done them in a while because of uh, certain setup uh, right requirements. Awkward. Right, but uh, in any case, it's been a tremendous pleasure. Oh. Uh, you're always welcome at this table. <laughs> Thank oh, you. I wanted to ask uh, the 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 blog that you mentioned before, where yes. you do the your writing. Is there somewhere other than Facebook where people can no, find r- that? Right, or? right now, I uh, I actually I I tried in the past to create a separate Facebook page. Uh, dedicated to some part of music campaigning, or that it didn't it didn't work. Mm-hmm. The the I'm able to reach the most people with my uh, with my daily Facebook posts. Just straightforward. Exactly. So I so I figure use that page for for my blog. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's uh, and what can we find in this blog as a general rule? Well, I I find that that uh, for what 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 I, what I try to do. Some people are are of the opinion that if you don't use your Facebook page to constantly discuss uh, current events and politics, that you're apathetic or that uh, you're uh, you're indifferent. That uh, and that's definitely not me. I'm mm-hmm. uh, definitely very uh, um, you're emotionally affected by, yeah. by by what's going on. But at the same time, I try. I I at times used facebook uh in ways that turned out to be polarizing and i try to be as unifying as as uh as as i can 
by uh, by uh, by discussing uh, music, music and uh, yeah. and music scholarship. Right so on. That's, uh, so that's uh, that's uh, what I find is uh, my most productive use of of uh, my my Facebook wall. Well, believe me that that you're making you're putting more quantity and I mean more quality there than like the majority of people. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. So Sorry. so good. Facebook's actually worth my time now. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, you can never win. Damned if you yeah. do, damned if you don't. You comment on one thing, and then people say, "Oh, you commented on that. Why didn't you comment on 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 this?" That's so madness. you begin to you begin to ask yourself, maybe maybe by not commenting at all, I I would have uh, come across as a more caring individual than by by. It's a no win scenario. Your, Kobayashi yeah. Maru. <laughs> exactly. Kobayashi no. Maru. It's a All right, double A. Well, thank you. Uh this has been a tremendous pleasure. My pleasure. Please come back. Excellent. Thanks. Fire, fire in a hole. Let's get one from you. Fire in the hole. Fire in the hole. This Man. is Amir. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>